Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This is, the, I hope, the last, sec, the last um, session on segment, session 20. I won't be long, because I really want to do some spirit activation. But we've been talking about the need for our spirit man to be mature, our spirit man to be developed, our spirit man to be in charge and to lead our souls and our bodies. Right? You are spirit, soul, and body. And Paul prayed that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, and be complete, lacking nothing according to that which was originally allotted to it. So the spirit man must not be, must not be deficient. Okay, the psalmist or the proverb says that the spirit of a man will even sustain his infirmity. So it doesn't matter, not just sickness and infirmity in your body, but for me it's any external bodily condition can be sustained by a healthy spirit. But it says a spirit that is broken or a spirit that is wounded, who can bear? You don't want to be messed up here in your spirit content. The, the enemy largely attacks the area of the, of the soul. So David, I'm, talking, I'm pointing here to the spirit. David would speak to his soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope thou in God. Spirit is the spirit man or the spirit in man was designed to lead the soul. Your, your spirit has eyes. Now, draw a lot of them here. Um, eyes, plural, Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding. Your spirit man has an understanding, so does your soul. Your spirit has a mind, so does your soul have a mind. But with the mind of the spirit, understanding from the Lord comes. He who is spirit, God. Spirit communicates with your spirit, the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God come to you via the words of God. Okay, words are thoughts clothed in human language, right? So when words come to you, it's really somebody's thoughts coming to you. When you read a book, for example, what you're essentially doing is you are soaking in the thoughts of somebody else by reading his book, right? Whenever something is expressed in human language, it's basically thoughts coming to you. So who knows the mind who knows the thoughts of a man? First Corinthians 2 would say, except the spirit of the man. The spirit of the man knows the thoughts of a man. Likewise, so does the spirit of God knows the mind of God. And who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But he says, but we have the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ. And Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Neither has it entered into the heart or the spirit of man the things that God has prepared for those that, that love him. So, but the next verse is, but these things he has freely made known to us by the spirit. So don't quote that verse and just stop in midair 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. But it says, but by the Spirit we can know those things. Those things are accessible. Okay? How are they accessible? He, the Spirit, will communicate the thoughts of God via words, the Word of God. Those words must be heard in the landscape of your spirit. Right? They must be received in the landscape of your spirit. So, spiritual thoughts must be received with spiritual technology. The technology or the, the interface, the landing spot, the place of reception of anything spiritual is your spirit. So, your spirit responds to the spirit of the Lord in the heavens. <clears throat> he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And the, 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 the process of anything divine coming to you is always going to be from the realm of the unseen, the spiritual world, to that part of you which is unseen, your spirit. And that is the, your, your nerve center. That is your headquarters. That is the platform that's going to determine everything in your life. It's that area that you must watch and guard very, 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 very closely. You must be careful of defilement here. Right? Be careful of defilement here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you read the last few verses, into 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, it says, Having received all of these promises, let us therefore cleanse ourselves from all um, filthiness of flesh and spirit. There is something called filthiness of spirit, right? Where, through carnal indulgence of the flesh, the soul is vexed or the soul is pulverized, right, is lean in terms of its ability to follow the dictates of the Word of God in your spirit. And sometimes to such a degree, it's, you can view this in two regards. If you focus excessively on carnality here, right, excessive sin in your body or your flesh, one of two things happen. You vex your soul. Your soul becomes skimpy or lean disempowered to follow the dictates and the leading of the Word of God in your, in your spirit. Okay? Or the alternative happens. Yes, fleshly or carnal indulgence. Yeah, what, what it does is, in one sense, it empowers the soul to rebel against the spirit. Right? To rebel against the spirit. So that your spirit ultimately will bow to the dictates of a diseased, prejudiced, or fallen soul. Right? And so, um, you can sit in a meeting sometimes, and the Word of God can mean nothing to you. You're hearing, but this is so powerless, your spirit man is so powerless to pick up the frequency of the sound of God's voice, because there's a predominance now of a soul that is diseased. And now, all your, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden, they chose to operate by the eye of the soul. Remember when they ate from the garden, it says the eyes were opened. What eyes were opened? The eyes of their soul was opened and it rivaled the place of the spirit as the basis from which man should live and conduct himself in the earth. So there's always this rivalry. That's why the, 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 the New Testament scriptures speak largely in respect of the renewing of the mind, the renewing of the soul, the restoration of the soul. Okay? 
creating, when, when David sinned, what, what did he pray? Psalm 51, right? Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Other versions say steadfast spirit. Renew a right or steadfast spirit in me. David realized this act of sin has put me out of balance. My spirit man is no longer in charge. And I need this thing to be corrected. So he said, and you know the word steadfast there, it's in your notes, it means to stand up erect. Right? Let my spirit man again begin to stand up in its proper place and direct the affairs of my life, of my soul and of my, and of my, and of my body. Now, quickly, uh, I'm going to say a lot of things in a short space of time. Okay? Because I want to finish this lesson so we can go on to other things. I said to you, Proverbs 20, 20, he who curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in the time of darkness. Remember this verse? We had it, right? The word lamp here is a reference to your spirit man, right? Remember last time I drew a big candle here? So let's just just draw a globe this time. Lamp, light, right? Now, Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, your spirit is the light or the lamp of the Lord Thy word is a lamp also unto my feet and a light unto my, unto my pathway. Right? And we said you need someone, a spiritual father, to speak this word to your spirit. So while the word is light, it does not give light unless there's an, keyword is, entrance of the word brings light. Listen, the word is light. But the word gives light only when there's an entrance. So, an an, an entrance, patach, in the Hebrew literally means to throw things wide open and to find access. So, that is why a spiritual father will stand and declare the word to you. The word's a closed, mysterious book. But someone comes and it opens up to you. This has access into your spirit man, which is the lamp of the Lord. So, it's the lamp of the Lord, and this lamp is to shine and illumine your entire spirit man and uh, condition the functions of obedience in your body, physically in your behavior. So, the light you receive in your spirit must highlight any darkened area in your soul. And when the spirit sees that in that area of the soul, there's darkness there, light is cast And the soul is brought up into alignment with that revelation received in the spirit. Right? So there needs this consistent, consistent, and I say consistent. Remember that the man we read last week in the, who was supposed to wash in the pool of Salom? Right? His, His perception, Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Salom. And the word wash in the Greek literally implies not once, not twice, but a continuous, continual process, right? So that's why I'm, I'm very um, hard on hearing the word all the time. Hearing the word regularly, right? The word plays almost 24-7 now at home. Some respect to another, right? If it's not something playing off Thamo's website, it's a CD in the CD play or something on Christian television. And I'm learning so much every time I... Even if I leave my office for a brief period and I come up for a cup of coffee or whichever, I'm hearing a thought, a word thought. And guess what? My mind has been scarred by the word. Right? 
entrance, right? And the more entrance of the word I have, remember your spiritual father is light also. The light of the Lord in him, the word comes to your spirit, which is a lamp, right? And it must cast light on the darkened areas of your, of your soul, okay? Now, in Matthew, take this reference down. It's, it is there in your, in your old note as Matthew 6, 23, I think, is there. But I want to read from verses 22, page 5. I want to read from verses 22 to 24. If you can turn in your Bibles, Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. I like this verse. If your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. Now it says the eye is what? The lamp of the body, but it's not referring to this eye. When it says the eye is the lamp of the body, I really believe it's referring to the eye of your, of your spirit. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if, if it says, if, if, if then your eye is clear, everyone say clear. Um, some of your versions will say if your eye is single. Right? If your eye is clear or if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. So what do, we, what do we need to do to ensure that whenever the entrance of the world which is light comes to our spirit which is light, from someone who is light, spiritual father, how must we ensure that if it enters, that the entire body then, soul and body dynamics, will be full of this light? It says, keep your eye what? Clear. But tell your neighbor, have a clear eye. Clear eye. Right? Now, I've included this in the updated note, but just listen, don't take notes because you'll get it emailed to you. The Greek word for clear is haplous. Right? And haplous means the following. Single. Listen carefully. Single. Not seeing double because of disease. You know, like you squint. Do you know no squint could function as a priest? Read the book of Leviticus. No hunchback. No deformed. All right, but listen carefully. It's like this word, it says, keep your eye clear. It means it must be undiseased. It must be healthy. Right? It mustn't see double because of disease. It must see singularly. That's why other versions say, keep your eye single, right? Um, now, it also means healthy, perfect, right? An eye without any folds that prevent accurate sight. An eye without any folds. Clear eye. So if you ask me, Randolph, do you have a clear eye? You're really asking me, do you see things as they really are? Or are you seeing things with a diseased vision? What you are essentially asking me is, listen carefully, are you seeing predominantly through the eye of your fallen soul? If that is your perspective. Let's say, let's use this for a person. Let's say everyone is appraising this brewer. Okay? And you, you're perceiving him. Your perceptions of him for most people will uh, praise him in the area of their soul, right? Now it says, if your whole, if your eye of your spirit is full of light, which is the word 
the revelation of the word. In other words, if you allow God through his word to condition your perspective in your spirit. It says then your whole body, including the eye of your soul, will be full of light. And you will see things clearly as they should be based on God's perception and not based on your own prejudice in the area of your fallen soul. Because many people view situations and circumstances or people or prejudicially. You're prejudiced against the person or you're biased in some regard because you're seeing them through filters, maybe of your own past hurt, or you're seeing them through filters of a bad experience. Right? But I really want to encourage you. Remember last week we said, you cannot do apostolic work unless you're living in something called the day. Hmm? I must work the works of him who has called me while it is yet day. And the day really there is the condition of your perception, the clarity of your sight will determine whether for you it is day or night. Now, in, in verse, look at carefully, in verse 23 it says, If your eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. If then the light that is in you darkness, how great is that? How great is that darkness? Right? And then he goes on to God versus mammon. No one can serve two, two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. In fact, if you read the previous verses from verses before verse 20 and onwards, verse 20, verse 21, it says, that, for example, you can't, um, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay? Now, look at this word. It won't say bad eye. The word bad eye literally means the following. Listen carefully. It means evil in a moral sense, wicked and malicious. What, what is malice? Amen. Exactly. Right? It's, it's an, everyone say injury. So it's a, it's a desire to injure. Okay? An intent to injure. If I say I'm malicious toward you, I have hurt or harm against you. My whole posture is to hurt you. So it says, listen carefully, if your eye is bad, full of malice, it means your view of people, situations, and events is what? Is injurious. Everyone say injurious. In other words, you, you're looking consistently at people through lenses for their hurt. And you never ever train yourself to see the good in others. Hmm? Now think about it this way. Because this portion is couched between expressions of finance. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Then immediately after Jesus says this is now you can't serve two masters. Either hate the one and serve the other. Love the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. I therefore conclude, listen carefully, haploos, clear, is a derivative of haplotes, which means bountiful or benevolent or generous. So, for example, he who has a clear eye is also generous in his giving. He who has a bad eye, this word bad is ponoros in the, in the Greek, and it literally is from a root that means to be stingy or to be withholding. 
So listen carefully. That is why we conclude, the more you give financially, the greater the quality of your revelation that enters you, the light. Right? The more you live in a frugal withholding mentality, the more light is prevented from hitting your spirit. Right? But now let's leave finance. This is not a financial conference. If I am generous, what do I do to the giver? I want to bestow upon the giver much. Right? So let's, let me use Claire as an example. Let's say I'm lighting my spirit viewing Claire. If I'm generous toward and now not finances, but what I'm doing, I am bountiful in the manner in which I bestow upon her a good view or a, a, a healthy um, perception as to who she is, why she is, what she does, what she does. Right? If I've got a bad eye, I view her with an intent to hurt her. It might not be overt, it might not be conscious, I might not be doing things to actually bring a demise, but my perception of her, and it comes out in my thoughts and in the words I say concerning her, it comes out not like you wouldn't say, oh, you're being nasty, right? But you're not being benevolent. And whenever you see her, you only see the bad. Even when she does good, it can't be seen because your lenses are colored. Hmm? Now, let me just say this. Everyone say primacy of the word. Uh, Paul said this in Acts 18. It says, everyone say pressed. Paul was pressed in his spirit, right? So he was pressed in his spirit, listen carefully. Pressed in his spirit, but other versions of the Bible say he devoted himself to what? We did it last week. He devoted himself to the word. So what is it when someone is pressed? This is not in a negative sense. When someone is pressed in spirit, it means the spirit man is entirely word-saturated, word-marinated. Okay? Right? Word-saturated, word-marinated. And then we we looked at a a, a reference in Deuteronomy 11, where, where, where God says this through Moses, These words of mine, these words of mine, you shall impress them upon your soul that the soul might live. The life of God. Everyone say life. This is where I want to go to. But before we get there, let me just, let me just finish the session quickly. I don't, want, I don't want to lose you in terms of this important fact. Um, everyone say light. Now ask your neighbor this. Is your spirit full of light? Now, listen carefully. Um, one of the ways I will know that about you is when I, when I see how you view others. If you're prejudiced in your outlook, I'll soon realize your spirit man is still lacking in terms of development. Right? Now, for example, I'm trying to find this verse in my notes. Who is blind but my, my servant? It's a good verse. I'm trying to find. Oh, yes, it's Isaiah 42, verse 19, if you want to make a note of it. Isaiah 42, verse 19. Who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I sent? Okay? Now, that is not like a negative verse. It's positive in respect to the servant of God. God says, My servant is blind. And who is so deaf like my messenger? Now, not in reference to God. In reference to, he is chosen 
to blind the eyes of his soul. Right? Because he realizes if I respond doing apostolic work, which is supposed to be done in the day, because the night comes, which is a bad eye, darkness when no man can work. If I'm going to work in the day, I have to empower my service for God by adopting a view that is a healthy, clear eye to everybody. And last week I said this to you. When in doubt, give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Hmm? You rather err on, on, on the side of... Um, you know, one way you can test this. One way you can test this. Tell you and your spouse. Say, honey, Dubby, whatever you call yourself. Let's not speak negative or bad about anyone for one whole month. Let's see what happens. Do you know what? Many of us, we will have nothing to say. Because all of our conversations are centered in others. Then we'll see what can you talk about when you've got nobody else as the topic. Hmm? You will soon realize how poor we are in spirit. Because all of our conversations center around the, the ill or the bad perceived from the, from, the, from the eye of your soul perceived in others. Hmm? If you do a, a, an examination, an assessment on the content of all of your conversations, right? And if you discover that all of this conversation is pointed to actually highlighting the speck. Remember last week, the moat versus the speck? It's highlighting the speck in somebody's eye to the neglect of the beam or the log in our, our own eye. Now I would say, please do this as an exercise. Listen to what I'm saying. And next time the conversation comes up, uh, let me just use, who can I use? Who's a couple here? Shan and Chris. And then uh, you're at home after church, supper time, turkey on the, on the table. Conversation time. And let's say Shan says, hey, you know, Chris, did you check Elvis out? Dad and Chris says, no, no, no. What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you about to say, brother? Stop it immediately. From, from, listen carefully. From 2 Corinthians 5.16, it says, From now on, we know no man after the flesh. In fact, go to it. I'm going to read the context. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Because I'm trying to be done by half past 8. Well, I've got much to say. But I want to finish in the next 20 minutes or so. I want to do some activation in terms of our spirit man. Okay. But look at the context in which Paul says this. Most of us know this verse, eh? From henceforth know we no man after the flesh. But read the context from verse 16. Listen carefully. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet in this way we know him no longer. Now just listen to, I'll read the other verses just now. But just listen to how other versions of the Bible frame this. The contemporary English version says the following. We are careful to judge no one by what they seem to be. God's word version says, from now on, we don't think of anyone from a human point of view. I love the Amplified. It says this. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. Right? So if I look at Angama, Angama, stand just quickly where, where you are, just stand. So everyone look at Angama. Turn around, let them see you. 
Okay, your model now, okay. Now, what do you see? Ask your neighbor, what do you see? Now, I can guarantee you, I know this by the Spirit, I can guarantee you, there are some of you sitting there with some degree of prejudice against Him. It might be huge or it might be small, but there is something negative. You see the whole person, but there might be even an ounce or iota of negativity. Right? If you see a black man, you're racist. Repent. Change your view. I know him not after the flesh. Racism is a spirit. It's devilish. It's demonic. Right? If you see a handsome man, you're accurate. Right? What do you see? In terms of economy. Train your senses. I'm training your senses. Training your spirit man. What do you see? Do you see where he's presently? Or do you see where he's going to? Tell your, my, tell your neighbor, do not know Ongama after the flesh anymore. And let's say Ongama failed significantly in, the, in last year in some degree. Do you know some of you will view him now in the light of his past failing? And it's going to color what you see of him now. And if you are like that, your eye is bad, your spirit is darkened, no light, and your whole body is full of darkness. Hmm? Okay, now you fine. <laughs> Let me just say, we don't regard you after the flesh. Amen? Regard you after the spirit. That's why when Paul came to the Galatians, Peter, James, and John, James, Galatians 2.9 says, They perceived in me the grace of God. And they extend to me the right hand of fellowship. Jewish tradition says Paul was short, bold, and ugly. You look at a short, bold, ugly man. But when Peter, James, and John saw him, what did they say? They, they didn't appraise him by natural standards of value. Externalities. Or even his past history, he was a persecutor and a killer of Christians. You know, people hold your past against you. But you know what? If you, if you see through long lenses, what's going to happen is you are allowing darkness to enter the eye of your spirit. Your perception is prejudiced. And my, the, my thing is, you will not be able to do apostolic work because you will not be living in an economy of God called daylight. You'll be living in night. Think about it like this. I know there's much we are saying tonight. Your effectiveness to do God's will from now on is going to be dependent upon your perception of others. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Don't say a negative word about someone ever in your life again. How's that for a challenge? Some of you are saying, yeesh. Don't know. Maybe. Eh? If you are going to talk about an issue, because at times you're going to have to talk about an issue, of negativity in reference to someone. If you are going to talk about it, you must talk about it from the platform of an enlightened spirit. And your talk must not be scandalous, but it must be redemptive. Right? If you are going to talk about it, it must be redemptive. Okay? Because, you know, I thought about this today uh, in the week um, when I was writing some aspects of the study. If, if, if you take out the bad and the negative, and the failing in some. There are some families that will have nothing to talk about when they gather together. 
literally the conversation stops because that has been the frequency of the, the conversation. And it's proved to me the spirit man is totally darkened. Right? Totally darkened. Now, um, I don't know where to go. A couple of things on my heart. Um, oh yes, we didn't finish the context. Sorry. Verse 17 is important. <laughs> Sorry. I know no man after the flesh, verse 16. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have, or new things have come. All things have become new. Now all things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Not just the context. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. He has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ through God, and we are as though God was making an appeal through us. We beg of you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made him when you know sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, listen carefully. It's amazing. He says, do not know anyone and do not appraise or estimate, assess anyone from a natural um, point of view, natural standards. And he immediately goes into, hey, if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. God reconciled us through Christ to himself. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And in his reconciliation, he does not hold men's trespasses against them. But that same anointing is given to you. So if you are operating as an ambassador of Christ, with the same ministry of reconciliation that Christ had, guess what? You've got to see every man in Christ and not in the flesh. You've got to see every man in terms of his status in Christ as a new creation. Right? So if I look at Moira, yes, there are some failings. I'm not saying the arms using your name. Okay? If I look at uh, anybody here, let's say you use Moira's example, some failings. But what do I do as a spiritual father or you as brother or sister to her? You say, okay, I've noticed maybe a character flaw there, but I will not let that condition my perception of her. I choose to see her in a matured, perfected state in, as a new creature in Christ. And if in my engagement with her, my position in response to her will always be within the ministry of reconciliation. Right? Bringing her, yeah, as far as I can help it, into a fullness of stature in Christ. I won't even, like Christ did to me, I won't even hold trespasses against her. I will be like Christ. You must come to the place where you can say, as he is, so am I in this world. Amen. Just recently, I'm amazed at the nature of God in his mercy. Merciful God. Hey? Tell your neighbor, God is merciful. Hmm? I thank God some of you are not God. <laughs> I thank God I'm not God yet, <laughs> as it were, you know. I think I'm growing in his nature progressively through time. But, uh, but I've, I know in this year, this year specifically, I've grown in the nature of his love, his grace, and his mercy. If you put Randolph under a microscope, you'll see grace, mercy. And even when someone has failed and they're repentant, I view them after 
their new image in Christ, not after the prior failing, and I hold no men's sin against them. Hmm? So, you, so that, listen, when I stand up and I'm going to South America tomorrow, Bolivia, let's say, part of our mandate, right? We're going. When God looks, you know, God can empower my function in His work. I can work in the day, apostolic work, because my eye is full of light. My perception, my appraisal of people, full of light. Okay? Tell your neighbor once again, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Now, I don't know where it is in your notes, but go to the point with Proverbs 4, verse 20. It should be towards the end. The heading is inclining the ear to hear with the spirit so the soul might live. What page is it? Page 9. Okay? Inclining the ear so that the soul might live. Like quickly, I need to just do this. Uh, you hear with the ear of your spirit. Your spirit becomes pressed, saturated with the word of God, marinated in the light or the truth or God's view of God's perspective, God's will, God's way of doing things. That then must be transferred to the realm of your soul. Whatever your spirit is pressed with, it must be impressed upon your spirit. And I showed you this verse in Isaiah 53, 55 verse 3. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul might, might live. Now, I want to just quickly do Proverbs 4. This verse says the following, verse 20, my son, it's in your notes as well. My son, but just look at the board, don't follow your notes, you can always read your notes at home. My son, give attention to my... Keywords, give attention to my words. It says, incline your ears to my sayings. Interesting study to look at the Hebrew for words and the Hebrew for sayings. It's almost like, it's almost like Logos versus Rhema. Okay? But that's not the focus now. Do not let them depart from your sight. Right? The eyes of your spirit. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Another word for heart here is spirit. Remember Ezekiel 36, 26? Uh, I will take the stony heart out of your flesh. A new heart will I give you. Our new spirit will I put with, within you. I will put my spirit within you. So very often in some verses of Scripture, the heart and spirit are used interchangeably or synonymously. Right? They are life, keyword, to those who find them. What does find imply? A search. So, so, remember last week we did a Scripture where it says, when my spirit searches, my soul longs. So the spirit adopts a searching nature uh, into the word of the Lord. Benefits are, your body will be healthy. They'll be held to all their flesh, right? Life to those who find them. This word life is key, eh? Life to those who find them and held to all their flesh. Then verse 23 says, Watch therefore over your heart or your spirit with all what? Diligence. For from it, from that epicenter, is going to flow the springs of life. Life again. The springs of life. And I said to you, springs here, or issues, as some versions of the Bible say, springs of life denote two things. It denotes an exit, the Hebrew word, and also denotes a boundary. Or an exit or a boundary, Right? So the, it, the spirit is the place from which everything ex, will exodus from your life. 
we can therefore conclude quality of your life is the reflection of the state of your spirit. Right? Quality of your life is the reflection of the state of your spirit. But it also means boundary um, um, or area, ambit of influence, sphere of impact, the, your, your perimeter, your, the degree of your influence in life will be dependent upon the maturity of or the presence of life from the Word of God in your spirit. That is why it's so important for me. I'm finding, I'm finding, honestly, I'm exposing myself to the Word of God every single day. Right? Every single day, without fail. What I'm finding, my spirit capacity is growing. I realize from this platform, is going to issue forth everything from my life. And it's going to determine the area of my sphere and my, my impact. But just quickly, you can't incline the ear to that you haven't given attention to. In the order of things is give attention, incline the ear. Right? Make time to hear the word of the Lord. Bend or incline your ear. Um, I, put, I think I have the word incline there somewhere. Right? It's above, above that. Nata, it means to stretch out. Extend, pay close attention. Pay close attention. This is going to demand discipline. It's going to demand that you literally, for example, attend all meetings. You have to be under the sound of the word of the Lord. Someone has got to stand and give entrance to your spirit, to the word. But also I believe it denotes meditation. We'll talk about soon. Uh, Having sealer moments where you pause and you stop and you... Think about earnestly what you've, what you've done. So give attention, incline your ears to my sayings. So when the word of God comes into the landscape of your spirit, your spirit is pressed with the word, you become devoted to the word, right? And it says, do not let them depart from your sight. Now, I really believe that this is the case. Word in your spirit conditions your, the perspective of your spirit. Your eyes are full of light now, right? And they will impact the eyes also of your soul. But you must not let the word depart from your perspective, from your way of viewing things. Right? So, someone slaps me on my cheek. Bah! My soul says, let's get it on. I want to react. Right? But the Bible says, give the other cheek. So I prefer to look at and appraise and determine my responses to the situation based on the truth or the light of God's word, not from the natural inclinations of my fallen soul. When I choose to obey God's way of doing things as opposed to my own way, natural inclination in the fallenness of my soul, that is essentially what I'm doing. I'm keeping them ever before my eyes, my perspective. Right? It's ever before. Someone hurts me badly. The world says, don't forgive. God says, forgive. You're going to make a choice. Right? Will you keep, in terms of your perspective, the reality of God's truth and so condition your obedience? The word depart really means to turn aside. Eh? You know what it is, but you turn to ignore. Like you, like you ignore it totally. To turn aside or to, to turn astray or to shun. Right? To turn back. They are life. Everyone say life. 
Now, please go to the next, just go to the next page where you get all the, 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 the verses on life. Please say life, 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 life. Tell your neighbor, life. John 1, 1, verse 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was, you know this verse so well. The Word was God. The Word was, was, it was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that came into being. And in Him was what? In Him was life. And His life was what? Light of men. What was life? This life, the word, Proverbs 4 says, when the word is in the midst of your heart, they are life to those that find them held to all of their flesh. So watch over this domain with all diligence, for from it are going to flow, right, issues that issue forth from your life and determine the extent of your sphere, function, and impact in, in, in this world. But it will be characterized by life, not death. So anything that comes out from you and in the world of your impact, what's going to be characterized there is life. So when I go to Quinton's class at school, that's a little like, he's, in some respect, his fear of impact. What must I see there? Life. God nature. God results. God impact. Not death. Right? When I come to your home, your business, your sphere, your world, that the boundaries where you function, what must we see? The principle of the life of God, the Zoe life of God. What brings that? It's the word. It's the sayings. But you must give attention. You must incline. You must not let them out of your, your perspective. You must keep them. Watch over them. If that is the case, anything that comes out of your spirit will always be life, because that word in you is the word of life. And when you have that life, your life will be the light of men. And the word which was light, hit the lamp of your spirit, which is light, will now be exhibited in a body full of light, because the, uh, the word generates life, which is life. Then it could be said of you, you are the light of the world. You can't just say you are the light of the world. This thing comes from somewhere, right? You have to go through these, um, these verses of Scripture to, to enact this quickly. John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1. In, from what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have handled, looked at, touched with our hands, concerning the word of... Everyone say word of life. I'm going to try and stress the point. Say it again, word of life. Is there life in the Word? Yes, the Word is full of life. John 5 verse 24. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes on him has sent me has everlasting life. Philippians 2.14. Now, here's a big thing. Now, I made it bold in your notes. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Tell your neighbor, stop complaining. I'll show you how this fits in shortly. Stop complaining. Now, it's very important. Um, I will do a teaching on complaint, maybe later on, if we have time. I'm just trying to fit it into all the things that need to be taught. But, banish, start now. I don't wait for the teaching. Start now by living in this culture. Stop any kind of complaint. Any kind of murmur. Hmm? 
I'm talking about any kind, right? Stop complaining about the things you don't have, quality of your life. Learn to be content with everything whatsoever you have. Well, already now you're not, you're not speaking bad about anybody, isn't when that's, that's taken care of, right? So we, we got that out of the way. Perception of everyone. So if we are going to be tempted to complain, it won't be about anybody here or anybody in the world. Amen? And I'm talking about the other things. Even stop complaining about the other things. Right? No complaints, no murmur. You know the word murmur is even a bad sounding word. Murmur. It's like bad even to, to write it when I spell it. Murmur. It's like what a, what a bad word. What a funny word, murmur. Right? Do you know what is the opposite of complaint? Thanksgiving. Next time you're tempted to complain, give thanks. I remember reading something um, years ago. A woman used to get up early in the morning to have a quiet time. And she got up one day this morning. And she was focusing in that season about not murmuring. And she got up to, to pray and read early in the morning. It was a spring morning. And this bird came and knocking at, the, at a window. And she found it terribly distracting. She couldn't focus on prayer. This thing kept not just hassling her. And then after 30 minutes, I'm being unable to focus because she was so distracted and she was complaining, Lord, this bird. And the Lord said to her, turn the distraction into a blessing. They told him, look at the bird. And all the bird scriptures came to her mind. Look at the birds of the air, how they don't so. How much more you're more worth than them. So she took a distraction and she refocused it. And she saw the blessing in what was the potential point of complaint. Hmm? So you turn it deliberately. Amen? So these things are little things we can do to help us. But listen carefully. I'm going to read this very importantly. Do all things without murmuring or grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast what? Holding fast the word of life. No one can tell me. I have words of life in my spirit. My spirit is full of light. I'm living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, and I still can accommodate intense disputing, grumbling, and murmur. These things are contrary. They don't um, live in the same in the same house as it were okay no more complaining hold fast the word of life every time you have word you have life every time you have life you have light right and in that economy no grumbling now what i really want to get to there's much you can read in fact there's a whole lot here that i will never have time to even teach it's for your reading what i want to end with i just felt this tonight to do this is right at the end of your note, where it says, uh, moved, Jesus was troubled in spirit, moved and troubled in spirit, the death of Lazarus. Right? The death of Lazarus. Ask your neighbor, do you have unrest in your spirit? Just look at the one above where it says, no rest in the spirit. Paul in Second Corinthians 2 verse 12b says, a door was opened for me in the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit for not finding Titus, my brother. Interesting verse, eh? Think about this. How many of you would be excited about a door's open for you? Hey? Massive door of opportunity. 
Listen to Paul's heart. He says, there is a huge opportunity for me to advance my ministry. God has opened up a huge door. But I cannot pursue the open door because of my spirit right now is in, not in rest because I can't find Titus, my brother. Right? Certain doors must not be walked through if they're going to be walked through at the expense of losing a brother. Paul's priority is that relationships are above the pursuit of ministry opportunities. And also his heart is, I think also the apostles think like this, I will not walk through this door alone. I need to walk through this door with Titus. So I need to find my brother. Now I'm saying this because all of you at some point in your life get agitated in this realm. Your spirit is upset. It's not even a soul thing. You, 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 the essence of you, your heart is vexed. And I'm saying, the things that cause you unrest are sometimes unbiblical. The things that should really trouble you is the fact that you can't find a brother. These are the things that should ail If ever you're going to have a sleepless night about something valid in God, it must be um, the issues of relationship. I can't... In fact, this is so relevant to our shift. God's about to open up a door of opportunity. And my heart is, God, when this thing happens, I will be excited, but I don't want to be look at the open door and still have uneasiness in my spirit because we're not moving all together in company. Right? Paul says, Paul was not so ecstatic, happy, over the moon about an open door because of a failure and inability to locate Titus doused his excitement about something grand and glorious like the next face, like the open door. So tell your neighbor we go through the door together. Now tell them this, if you are lost, I get in unrest. <laughs> he said, I don't know what the circumstances surrounding Titus's, the inability to locate Titus here, but Paul says, I can't locate him and that's causing me to be uneasy. And also, this is all happening in the face of a massive opportunity to do apostolic work. But I'm in unrest. While another brother might be over the moon rejoicing, I see the open door, but I cannot rejoice prematurely because I cannot go through it alone. I need to go through it with Titus. Hmm? May the Lord give you sleepless nights and burden a brother on your heart that you need to locate so that we can journey in company. Amen. Through the door. One last scripture. Right? Jesus was, look at the description in John 11. Right? John 11, 33. Jesus was moved and troubled in spirit. Let's check what troubled Jesus. Listen carefully. At, this was at Lazarus' tomb. 33. Jesus therefore saw a weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. And he was moved, where? In? He was moved in spirit. Right? Other version says he groaned in his spirit. Now think of a groan. Please, can anybody demonstrate a groan for us? Just demonstrate it to your neighbor there. It's like this agitation, eh? It's like cry. 
think if you were making this movie and Jesus comes to the tomb or the death of Lazarus and he sees everybody weeping and his spirit, the Bible says, gets troubled. And he starts this groan and it's like a deep-seated cry within the man. Right? I'll tell you why just now. Let's read. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In the famous verse, Jesus wept. Next verse. The Jews were saying, see how he loved him. 37. But some of them said, could this not man, sorry, could not this man, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? So there's doubt and a discreditation of Jesus here. Verse 38, second time. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within his spirit or within himself, groans. He comes to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Right? Why do you think Jesus groaned? Let me ask you this. What was in Jesus' spirit? He was the word made flesh. His spirit was full of life. His, his, word, his spirit was full of the Zoe life of God. Here he's confronting the spirit of death. I, do not, I don't really think it was because he loved Lazarus that he groaned. Yes, he did. This was their perception of why he groaned. But I think because it says it twice. He groaned when he saw them weeping, and the Bible says, and he came before the tomb, he stood, and there's this stone at the entrance, and then the Bible says, and, and the cry, and he says, take this stone away, gives thanks to the Lord, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Right? I really believe Jesus, in fact, you must study this word in the, in the Greek. This word in the Greek means to be angry. This word groan means to be, to administrate a judgment upon. Right? To administrate admonishment. To sternly charge. So when he's, this troubling is, listen carefully, in his spirit already, the principle of life within him was so buoyant, he stares death in the face, and in his groaning, he already won the victory. The utterance was purely an expression of a victory that Jesus already secured in his spirit man. Because when it says he groaned, it doesn't just mean he's in anguish. It means that he already sternly, harshly pronounced an admonition upon that spirit of death. Now, let me ask you this. What is causing you to groan now presently? What enemy? You see, death was the enemy of the sons of God. It's the last enemy to be put underfoot. What enemy, what spirit is causing you this kind of agitation? You know why? It's the violation of the principle of life that you have resident in your spirit. You go to your workplace, you go to your family, and you, like he went to this close family that he loved, and he sees a reality that is totally contradicting the principle of life that he has in his spirit. And it causes this kind of unrest. Right? And you know what I felt in my spirit? God is saying, Randolph, that's why you've been so uneasy. It's not that something's wrong with you. Please, and God is saying to me, understand your internal processes. If you looked at Jesus groaning, 
at this grave, you ask, Lord, is everything okay? What's wrong? Are you fine? Jesus said, no, don't upset this. This is a God-initiated process of a judgment that I need to pronounce on the spirit of death. But internally within my spirit, man, already, my spirit is so full of the word of life, this situation is contradicting everything I stand for. So Lazarus, come forth. Wasn't positive confession. Because some people confess and it's empty words coming from an empty spirit. You can't just take the word and say, if I confess the word long enough, I'll get my breakthrough. Doesn't work. That word must first permeate the landscape of your spirit. Saturate. When you stand and you see, and this, this tonight I've got this violence in my own spirit against the spirit of mammon. Jesus, this groan was against the spirit of death. Right? And, I, and God said to me, just this afternoon, at about five, God said to me, the destiny of this house is to be financially empowered. And the Lord said to me, to you, I must impress and impart this reality to you. Yes, don't be settled in your spirit. You're fine. I'm not saying you're not fine. You're fine. Everything's well with your life. But have this trouble in your spirit until you see the spirit of mammon totally disempowered from the effects on its impact on sons of God in this house. God said to me, so, you know, I love to write about finance. I love to study it. And I've just shouted for a while and others, other things, other issues, God ordained, God led, came into my focus. God was saying, I need you to get back to that because this is going to be an inheritance for this house. This is going to be a key thing that we're going to teach all over the world. Financial liberation. God is saying, develop the, prin- the principle of life and prosperity in your spirit and also in your soul must be so powerful that whenever you come into the sphere where the spirit of mammon and of financial lack rears its head, the, the, the word content in your spirit stares that in the faith, in the face and you can say, remove the stone. I want to set the sons of God free from the stronghold of this financial cave. Right? And that's what, like, really cl- if ever I heard the Lord clearly today, it was in reference to this. And I'm saying to all of us, you see, you will prosper as your soul prospers. We'll do that next week. You'll prosper as your soul prospers. But the reality, this must, the, the reality of life and peace. Everyone say life and peace. Three things I like recently, words I've been loving in my spirit recently. Life, peace, prosperity. Say it with me, life, peace, prosperity. And now wherever I go, and I'm seeing the opposite of this. I don't get angry, but there's a holy agitation in me. And I'm getting to the place, I believe, where we will be able to command the spirit. And say, spirit of mammon, um, you, we bind you in the name of the Lord. And we loose the Lazarus that you attempt to hold captive by your clutches. But let me just say this. That's why I say, full, saturate, press the word. Devote yourself. Read and reread if you have to. Take a scripture, take a chapter. Read the whole chapter every day for one month if you have to. And at the end of that month, I must ask you about that scripture. It just 
reflexively oozes forth everything from your will issue, will flow forth the springs of what? Springs of life from the content of your spirit man. I believe this, and this we can apply to sickness, disease, any condition that contradicts health to all your flesh, life to those who find them. Okay? So tell your neighbor, develop an intolerance for anything that contradicts life. Develop an intolerance for anything that contradicts the life of God. Right? Some of you carry a burden for much. I know it in my spirit. Carrying that thing resident within your spirit. And I think God supernaturally wants to... We are now entering a phase of tremendous conquest. We will be able to command these things. And they will have to bow the knee. Amen.